Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. I am so excited. I say this every time, but like every time I truly mean it, every time I'm very excited for this conversation because I only have exciting people on my podcast that I want to talk to, that I want you to hear from. So today I'm talking to Isa Watson and I'm going to give a quick introduction of her, but she is a myriad of amazing things that I cannot fit in a short introduction. So I'll also let her tell us more. Isa is an expert in the human connection space. She has been named one of Inc.'s 30 under 30, as well as a top 100 female entrepreneur of 2020, and is one of the 100 MIT alumni in tech in 2021. Has a BS in chemistry and a minor in mathematics from Hampton University and an MS in pharmacology from Cornell University. And she is the founder of Squad, an audio-based social app that aims to help users deepen relationships with their pre-existing circle of close friends while putting mental health first. And we might get into talking about social media, but we're going to talk first about a lot of her professional experience kind of before she went into founding her own thing. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work, and then we will dive in. Well, thank you so much, Kara, for having me and really excited to delve in. But first thing I like to start with is a fun fact about me. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. So <laughs> the fact that I'm, I'm standing here today is very surprising to me still. But, you know, long story short, I come from- I'm like very shaken by this. I've heard a lot of things <laughs> on the podcast, but- Never had a cup of coffee in my life. Amazing. And, and I've man- I managed to make it to your podcast today, so. Yeah, you're here and you've accomplished <laughs> a lot without caffeine. It is possible. <laughs> Go me. Exactly. So I come from a big Caribbean family, one that was really, really values oriented, you know, and I I was always a builder. You know, my, my father was an old school engineer who- was more in the mindset of if you can't build it, then you shouldn't be using it. So I was building my computers at the age of seven onward, right? And the, if that was the rule, I would literally use nothing in my house. I don't right? think that I can. <laughs> I would maybe be toasting bread over an open flame in the backyard, but I'm not even sure that I could build a fire. <laughs> oh, I, I I suck at building fires, by the way. But I I can build electronics, but the real the real world stuff like. <laughs> I struggle. But the way that like I, the building manifested for me first was in the lab sciences field. So I was like, started my career as a chemist, started working in the research labs at UNC Chapel Hill at 14 years old, was one of the youngest published chemists in the world at 19. You know, we talk about mindset a lot here. And quite frankly, I've had pivots in my career, which actually require really strong and kind of resilient mindset. So I actually transitioned from lab and data science to the world of Wall Street, where I was the vice president of strategy at JP Morgan Chase, running multi-billion dollar initiatives across three or four continents at a time. And then, you know, from JP Morgan, I was like, you know what, I, I'm really, really passionate about, you know, the fact that humans are kind of lacking connection in the way that, you know, we do today. And the fact that social media has driven more loneliness. So I was like, let me go build a solution. So I left JP Morgan to start a venture capital backed technology company. And so between chemistry, finance, and now tech, that's kind of my, my professional story. All without caffeine. 
It's amazing. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about you've worked in three very male-driven industries. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think if we counted venture capital separately, it kind of really before, right? Science, corporate banking, tech, and then also venture capital is very male-driven, and that's where you had to get your funding. Mm-hmm. Right. So I kind of love to hear what sort of mindset challenges you encountered in working in such male-driven industries? Like, did you go into it with those concerns or were you kind of like, oh, this is fine. And then things came up. Like, what was your sort of experience? Yeah, you're right in the fact that science, finance, and tech are all very, very male-driven. I think for me, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, you know, how am I going to have to navigate this differently? I just was like, let me learn the rules of the game let me optimize on my version of the rules. And then let me actually play that back a little bit better than you. And one of the things that I found myself doing quite a bit, and it started actually, yeah, it started with my science days, but really, really manifested it, built this muscle during my finance days, um, was feeling comfortable inviting myself into the room or or inviting myself to the table. Mm-hmm. I feel like oftentimes women are not just going to be given the opportunity of here, come sit at this really important table where we're making big decisions or, you know, come into this room of some of the key players at the firm right now who are handling X, Y, and Z. And so for me, I just, you know, people considered it to be a little bit awkward or uncomfortable at times, but I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I should be in that meeting. Don't worry. I'll go tell your assistant to put it on my calendar. Um, (laughs) I love this. Slow down. This is so important, right? Because this is like women are socialized to wait to be rewarded for good behavior, right? And if you are a person of color, if you're marginalized in some other way, especially if you feel the pressure of being a model minority in some way, right? It's like, work hard and you'll be rewarded. Uh And so we like sit around waiting, but what you're saying is so important, which is like, you got to reward yourself. Like you got to put yourself in the way of that. You can't just wait and you have to be willing for it to be awkward. Yep. Like, I mean, I've been coaching around this so much lately that like, we all want to be like trailblazers or entrepreneurs or the first, you know, woman of color VP of this, but then we're like, but I don't want it to feel awkward. And I want it to be easy and smooth. And like, no, we can have one of those things. It can be easy and smooth and not awkward. Yep. And you cannot trailblaze or you can trailblaze and be willing to be like, yeah, so I'll be in that meeting and I'll tell your assistant and I'm basically going to like keep going till someone says no to me rather yep. than wait for someone to say yes to me. A hundred percent. And the thing about it is that anytime you're navigating these environments, there's an ecosystem you're navigating, right? So it's not just like my first job at JP Morgan, while I, you know, supported and was a right-hand strategic partner to a lot of the C-suite executives, my, one of my first jobs was supporting the CFO of a particular unit, like running his strategic initiatives. And, you know, I remember how much easier it became for me to actually navigate these when I became close with the assistants. And when you're like at, at the Wall Street firms of the world, some of the major firms, The assistants actually run the show. So, you know, and they're the ones who have all the tea. And so it's like, you know, that meeting, like, what do you said again? Oh, yeah. And does Bob also attend? Great. You know what? I'm just going to tell him, give him the heads up that I'm going to also attend. And then I'll confirm with you so you can put it on for me. Right. So it was never actually sometimes going through the guys directly. Mm -hmm. But I was that girl that showed up and I was like, hey, guys, I'm here. Yep. Mm -hmm. Also, these are my ideas. And so I think that to your point about it potentially being awkward, very much so, but I actually just had to accept the awkwardness and kind of lean into it. And quite frankly, most people aren't going to tell you 
no, actually, no, you can't be there because they don't, they don't want to be the bad guy. And so Mm -hmm. again, I think we have to be more comfortable with creating those opportunities for ourselves. Oh, it's so good. It's like the person who's going to win is the person who's willing to be the most awkward. Like they're not going to want to feel awkward by saying no. So if you're willing to feel awkward by putting yourself there, right. And then of course, like your ideas and all of that starts to take root. You start to be able to have those Mm -hmm. conversations, but I just love this story because it's such a, like, I feel like what you were kind of showcasing is that like resilience and creativity and like, I'm going to get myself in the room. And then like, of course my brilliance is going to speak for itself once I get there, but like, how do I get there? I'm going to do what it takes. Right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like, okay, if I work really hard in this job, exactly the way I was told to eventually somebody will recognize me and like move me up. And that is just not, I mean, maybe occasionally, but you can't be going around relying on that and waiting for that. I always tell people you should never consider it somebody else's job to elevate you. You actually have to put yourself in those positions. And on top of that, you have to communicate your worth and you have to communicate the things that you've accomplished. So, hey, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, we actually went ahead and kicked off the initiative. We're on track to hit another $500 million in revenue from this is that's and I'll keep you posted on how it turns out. And then six months later, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know it's executed super well. You know, give people credit. Like Bob was helpful here, Susie was helpful here. And then like after I started doing that like, the first few times, then I started getting invited to him. They were like, you gotta get Isaac in here because that's the way it's gonna get done. You gotta right. get Isaac in here. You and, created your own reputation and you were right. like your own hype person, which I think is yep. so important. I see this even in my company, like When people ask for, and you know, I have like, as it turns out right now, all women working for me and, you know, women from various marginalized identities. And like, I do a lot of people ask for raises and promotions. I'm like, okay, go revise this, do this Mm -hmm. again and come back and tell me like, what is the value you added to the company? What did you work on? What did you, whatever. Right. Because we're not taught how to do this in school, which we should be, but like, right you got to come like come in and blow my mind with how much value you created and take ownership of what you brought to the business. Like that's how I make these decisions. And that's how you want to be thinking about yourself and presenting yourself. A hundred percent. And so making good. sure you're communicating that to the right person in the org. Yeah. And I just love that, like proactively doing that even like not even in the context of a raise discussion, a promotion discussion, whatever, but just slacking somebody and being like, Hey, just wanted to let you know, like that thing you told me to work on, it's going gangbusters. And like, it's so great. And it's on track and here's what we're doing and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think we all think, you know, it's like comes from school where you're like, well, I do the homework and then I get the good grade. And like the teacher's watching all of us and like, mm-hmm. it's their job, but in business, everybody's doing their own job. <laughs> like I'm right. Like nobody has time to be like hyper monitoring all of their employees. They're worried about their own job and their own boss. So you have to do that. A hundred percent. So good. So I'd love to talk a little bit about something that we talk about on the podcast a lot, which is like, there's the places where what's holding us back is internalized Mm -hmm. bullshit. Right. And that's like what we've been talking about so far. And then there's also the places where there's external bullshit, right? Like you are being treated differently because you're a woman or a person of color or fat or disabled or whatever else is going on. Uh There is sexism. There is racism. There is ableism, especially in some, you know, behemoth corporate industries kind of that have been run a certain way for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mostly white men whose fathers and grandfathers also had the same job. (laughs) Right. Like, so, you know, whether or not you sort of personally encountered that, and of course, you know, you're welcome to share about it if you did, but how do you kind of recommend that people, women, especially or marginalized people use mindset to kind of try to cope with some of those instances? Yeah, I think it in part varies in how it comes up. And, and what exactly it is. 
And I think sometimes when you're calling people out, especially when you're calling a man out as to not tap on that ego too much, mm-hmm. I've kind of made jokes about it at, at certain points or, you know, I've had friends who have been clearly discriminated against when they're like eight, seven months pregnant. And it's like, really, Bob, would you really be saying this to me if I didn't have this like eight pound human, like in my stomach mm-hmm. right now? You know, I think that you just have to literally kind of call it out, but kind of call it out in a way that, you know, sparks a conversation. And mm-hmm. I think that there are other times where it's really tricky to do that. So I had a white woman manager and I, I'm a black female, very t- chocolatey black female. I had a white woman manager one time tell me that it was hard to give me feedback because my face looked so aggressive. And I was like, <laughs> I said, you said what? Like, I, I didn't even know how to respond to that. Like, right. what am I supposed to do? Like, have my face look more like yours, change my skin tone. Right. Um, Just grin maniacally anytime you speak to me to try to overcome the stereotype. Like, is that the- <laughs> right? It was basically black women are aggressive. Right. You know? And so I think for that, I was like, okay, HR, like, <laughs> and then it, it was bad because I ended up pulling in a, my HR manager who was another white woman who didn't even like really address it. And mm. I was like, okay, okay. All right. So I didn't even like address that because that was just really hard to navigate. And I think, you know, just kind of managing expectations. Sometimes you may find yourself in that type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more, more important thing for me in that at that time was to lean into my peer relationships and, mm-hmm. and make sure I had that nurture and support because mm-hmm. I was just like really feeling incredibly discriminated against. And, and she, I mean, she, like you, you said what you said, like, you know what I'm saying? I have receipts. Yeah. But as it pertains to some of the other you know, things, whether a a woman is pregnant or quite frankly, as a black woman or as a black person in general, it's assumed that I do not have strong analytical chops. My dear, I am a scientist. I have an MIT degree. My analytical chops are pretty popping. And so, you know, it was kind of understand what are the biases that exist against you. So I think for blonde hair, white women, a lot of times it's, oh, you're very airheaded and you're not Mm. smart. For Black women, it's you're aggressive and you're not good at math. For Asian women, it can oftentimes be, oh, you're very like, timid and you you or you're very quiet you're and submissive you're submissive exactly yeah. and so what I try to do is I try to actually nip those in the bud early mm-hmm. in the conversation so we can get on to with the meat of the program mm. so that means oh in a conversation with Bob the you know new CFO I was talking about yourself you know Bob this is my background Oh, by the way, I remember that talk that you gave. And yeah, my professor at MIT, da 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 da. Like, I was in his class and he said something that reminded me, like, whatever the case is, Mm -hmm. go ahead and nip all those things in the bud. For me as a Black woman, I'm smiling a lot because if Mm -hmm. I don't smile, they're like, ooh, she's aggressive. So I think those are some of the things. So, like I said, to, to just sum it up, it's A, anticipating what those things are, nip them in the bud when you really feel like you have to with a particular person. B, call people out. Like, you know, like I've actually said to people, like, would you have said that to me if I were a white man? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and if you would have like, maybe I again, like be willing to be awkward, like that's going to be real awkward, but sometimes it's worth it. People don't want to be called out on their stuff. But also I think that there is a great deal of willingness to learn these days, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you missed up. And so honestly, like you also have to just 
you have to teach people how to treat you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what you're not going to do is come to me with the disrespect and assumptions because I don't have time. Mm-hmm. There's so much good stuff in there. I should have been like taking notes. There's a few things I want to pull out. <laughs> so one of the things we're talking about, I think, is like discernment between like when you can get away with making a joke, when you can kind of handle it yourself versus when yep. you do need to go through the institution structure. And of course, we all know like that's not a failsafe either. Like you experienced, I worked at a national prominent nonprofit once and had a problem with one of my supervisors and the solution, they just told me to work it out with them directly. Like, I was like, I was like is that what HR is for? Is that is that what your department does? Okay. That seems like a waste of money then, but right. so whatever, right? There's time, obviously like that's not always a safe route either. But I think like one of the big picture things here that I want people to take away, even before we get into some of the details of what you said is like, sometimes you do like go to HR, they're not helpful. Right. And then the question is just now what, right? Like we can all agree. And like, we would all sign the petition that we should not have to put up with the bullshit that we put up with. Some of us have to put up with much more bullshit than others. Like, amen. I too would like that world. And I were trying to work on it, but also we're here now Right. And like, are you going to let that decide for you what you can accomplish? And like, you clearly have not. Right. You're Mm -hmm. like, that was some bullshit. Okay. I went to HR and then the HR was some bullshit. Okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this was like, I'm not getting resolution here, but that's not going to be in charge of like what I can accomplish. Like, I'm going to lead on my friends. I'm going to lead on my peer support. I'm going to acknowledge like this harm happened and wasn't remedied. And Mm -hmm. I'm still going to work the next day. Or I, if you have, if you can't, I'm going to go find another job or I'm going to whatever, like the place that people get into this, like mindset oppression cul-de-sac. That's so unnecessary of like mm-hmm. a, a sort of thinking that like, obviously the answer is not to just like feel great about being racially harassed at work. And obviously the answer is not like, you can't always solve it where you are, but like, I, what I always want to say is like, we got to zoom back out and like, what am I trying to accomplish in my life? And how do I keep showing up for that and not let whatever interaction I've had like be the end of that for me? I think for a lot of times, especially with women, we ask for permission too much or we seek permission. When the reality is that from a mindset perspective, we should be empowered to lead our journey. We don't need your permission. And I, I think a lot of these like points that we're bringing up actually really kind of speak to the fact that we have the power to lead our own journey. Yeah, hundred percent. And to not tell, like the whole way that oppression works is by convincing people that they don't have any options. So they have to put right. up with whatever crumbs they are offered. Right. And so when we tell ourselves, well, I don't have any options, like, well, I went to HR and then they didn't help. So now I'm stuck and I have to work here and I have to live with this and I have to whatever we're doing that work for the system, right? As opposed to believing in our own capabilities and capacities, like I'm fucking badass. Another company would be happy and lucky to have me. Let me go make that happen for myself, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's like the balance of acknowledging systemic issues, but not like just believing all of these thoughts that we have about the limitations for us personally and what we're capable of. Right. And another last thing about mindset in this point, we shouldn't feel like we owe the companies we work for anything. 
they do not own us, right? And so to your point, when you're a very talented individual, you have, especially in this market, you're going to have so many options of where you want to go. I actually have gotten to the point where I actually made that clear to my senior Mm -hmm. leaders. I said, listen, like, this is what we're not going to do. We're not going to mess with my comp this year, okay? Like I said, if you want lemon, you want to pay for lemons, you get lemon work, you need to go find somebody else. But you want ISA work? <laughs> you want Eisen level production? Oh, you're going to have to come up and pay. You know, like, you, I'm not, I'm not going to take your, like, BS. <laughs> and it's so funny because, to your point about being awkward, a lot of the guys I was reporting to were these, like, older white men. Mm-hmm. And you could tell, they were, like, their eyes just got big. <laughs> <laughs> or like they, they were like in, in the in their head they were like this should just say that to me and I'm like I did and I'm here and I'm looking at you and I sure did and they were they told me they're like dang girl you got some tenacity that was like the whole the joke about me and the scene lose when I was working on Wall Street but I I think that it's not harmful to make sure that the people who need to know, know that you are in high demand. Mm -hmm. Men have these conversations so naturally and all the time. Whereas I think sometimes as a woman, you're conditioned to be agreeable and likable and that feels confrontational. But again, it's leading our own journey. You know, when I make the point about feeling empowered to lead your journey, one of the things that's really important on the professional side is making sure we secure sponsorship. Mm. A lot of people, especially women and people of color, assume that they're just going to get promoted because of their merits when the reality is that merit plays a part, but securing the sponsor who is going to bang on the table behind Mm -hmm. closed doors for you and making sure that they know your intentions and your motives, that's really important. You know, one of my mentors always told me, Isa. The biggest decisions of your career are always made when you're not in the room. Mm. So then the question becomes, obviously, who is in the room mm-hmm. who can you know, advocate for me on my behalf? And I feel like women especially are over-mentored and under-sponsored. Mm-hmm. I, I actually don't need a ton more mentorship. I need people who can make sure that I get to that next level. And I, I just think that that is so important and such a big part of leading, you know, mm-hmm. your journey. Yeah, that's such a good point. And like, it's on, you know, we have to go figure out who those people are and cultivate those relationships. Like yep. your company may have a mentoring program where they assign somebody to you, but that means nothing about whether that person's going to bang on the table or insist that you be there or whatever else, right? Or even have the power to do so. Yeah. You got to go build those relationships. And I think it's interesting because I was in academia before, I mean, I was a litigator and then I was in academia before I became a life coach as one does normal career trajectory. (laughs) But that was one of the things that I focused on a lot in law school was like, I was not on the law review. I did not graduate in the top. I went to Harvard, but I graduated probably I I was cum laude, but not magna. So I don't know, top 20, 30, but like I was not at the top of my class. But I had found like the one professor who came to visit for the semester who did all of the reproductive rights work that I wanted to do. And like, that was Mm -hmm. the person that I went and was her research assistant and cultivated a relationship with her and like was strategic about how to create my relationships. Mm -hmm. I think that is such a crucial point. Like all those old boys networks have been running on relationships for years and we have to go create those ourselves. And I will say like, I find people often have a hard time. They don't know how to do that. Like they don't know what to do. And here's my free piece of advice for all of you. Go be useful, be useful to someone. 
Yep. Offer them something they want. Yep. It doesn't have to be big. Like I heard you talking about how you were looking for, you know, a good book for your kid to teach them about X. I gave these three books to my niece. She loved them. Let me just email them to you. Like, honestly, it can be as little as that. It's like, be of service, offer some value to someone. It doesn't have to be huge, but just that's how you start that, right? Is like, it's not marching into someone's office and being like, I need a sponsor. What do you think? (laughs) Right, exactly. And like like you said, the value can be like little things, but like Maya Angelou said, people would never remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And oh, that person is really valuable or oh, that person like really shows up for me. That, mm-hmm. That's a feeling, right? And mm-hmm. that, that's something that they'll always remember. And so I, like I said, sponsorship is so, so incredibly important. And I don't think people stand a great chance of progressing without it. Yeah. And it doesn't get talked about enough because it is one of those like happens behind the scenes kind of things. Definitely. So good. Yeah. And women are socialized to believe that like the best thing you could say about a woman is that she's like, not greedy, you know, that she's sort of like women are socialized to just like, I think of like the orphan and Charles Dickens, right? <laughs> just like not even asking, not even a please, sir. Could I have some more? Just like take whatever you're given. And that asking mm-hmm. for more is greedy. And the truth is again, like, yeah, socialization impacts the people in charge of you. So some of them might have that thought about you, but like, are you willing to believe in yourself and your own capacity and your own capability and be like, all right. Like if leadership at this company thinks that women asking for raises are greedy, then like, I need to find a different company. Like I'm not staying here. This is not the place for me. A hundred percent. So good. I was like, what's a segue here. I'm just going to be like, we're taking a left turn and talk about something else because it's all related in some ways talking about these different external structures. Another thing that I know you are sort of an expert in and, and is behind your company you founded is the way that social media is impacting people's kind of mental health these days. Mm-hmm. And I guess I want to preface this conversation for my listeners because my listeners are used to hearing me say, your thoughts create your feelings, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. External, not external things. And I think obviously that's true, but it's also true that, especially I think with social media and the way that it kind of, it sort of like works on our brains through what we're seeing and through normalizing certain visual things for us without us even consciously thinking about it. It's an and, not an or. It's not like right. your thoughts about it don't matter, but it's also like understanding the technology and how to set limits on it if you want to the same way that when I teach about body image, I'm teaching so much thought work. And I'm also like, and also fill your Instagram feed with people who look like you because it ain't helping for you to look at all these people who don't look like you that may, where your brain is just constantly triggered to have these negative thoughts. So this is not to say that like your thoughts don't impact your feelings around social media, but it's an and not an or like, are there ways that we could deal with it better? So can you talk a little bit about like what you have found and I'd like the social science has found in terms of like the relationship between social media and mental health? Yeah. So to your point, Kara, I think that was a very great point. Your thoughts create your feelings. The thing I'll add to the beginning of that is that we allow social media to impact our thoughts, which then create our feelings. Right. And so when we live in that world, what happens is that we end up in this endless cycle of comparisons. Oh, she got pregnant. Like, and she says she only tried once. And I've been trying to get pregnant for five years. Or, wow, I love her body. Man, look at my arms. Like, I don't like my arms anymore. Or that person got promoted like three times already. And we were the same year in business school. Oh, I'm falling behind. Mm -hmm. And so, what happens is that, quite frankly, social media, the way that we use it, 
it's a content platform. It's not a connection platform. Mm -hmm. And because it's a content platform, people are sharing the highlight reels of their life. People aren't sharing the fact that, you know, they miscarried. People aren't sharing the fact that they got passed over for a promotion this year. People aren't sharing the fact that they're not feeling that great about their body Mm -hmm. in the moment. Right. And so when you're looking at and consuming highlight reels and then comparing it to your real life, it really actually does mess up your mindset about how to like feel about yourself. And so from a social science perspective and just kind of mental health perspective, and I'm sure you know this already, but you know, instances of depression and loneliness have gone up dramatically over the last several years in correlation to the growth we've seen in social media, the number of hours we spend on social media each day, the number of respective amount of time, right? And so I think that you know, A, the highlight reel issue is actually a very real issue because like I said, our lives are actually messy. Our lives are flawed. We're flawed human beings and we're, we're very imperfect, but that's not what you're seeing on social media. So it just becomes a little bit hard to contextualize yourself mm-hmm. in this world of perfection because we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we focus on, you know, one of the things that I became very adamant about was making sure that I was working on and investing in my friendships offline, right? Mm -hmm. Because it can be like Facebook says, oh, you have 2000 friends. Are they really your friends though? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, quite frankly, we become close to people who were reliably liking our content all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's some people where everything I post on Twitter, they like, and Mm -hmm. and then they DM me like we're friends, like we're not friends, you know? (laughs) And so I think that something like 58% of millennials and Gen Z say that they don't have a close friend. And so when you think about that, but you think about the fact that they're on social media on average three to five hours a day. I feel like I absorbed that stat. That is wild. Yeah. 58% say they don't have a close friend. Don't have a close friend. But here's what they do. Social media is an escapism tool, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, let me just scroll, scroll, scroll so I don't have to deal with my real life. And so to that extent, like I actually started a a venture back company called Squad and Squad is all about making sure that you have a really easy and fun way to talk to your friends every day. You can't go discover people on the platform. So I can't go, you know, connect with Kim Kardashian on Squad if I don't have her (laughs) cell phone number, right? It's really Mm -hmm. about like, who's your existing network? And doubling down on that, Doubling down those existing friendships is where you get those dopamine and serotonin hits that you really need. And so, you know, like I said, dialing it back up, you know, Squad was all about how do you, as a contrast to social media where people are posturing for likes, mm-hmm. how do you actually just go deep with your handful of handful of friends every day and make it like super easy and fun and light? And then, you know, on the overarching social media side, you know, there's a mindset shift that we need to actually invest in for ourselves to make sure that we don't get sucked into that comparison paralysis, mm-hmm. you know, and then we just talked about the workforce. I cannot tell you the number of people who graduated with me at MIT or graduated with me at Cornell or Hampton who are now like, oh, I'm just not far enough because, you know, my other classmate is further. Right. That's just they're looking at true. you on social media and they're like, look at what ICE is doing. Or I see this with coaches, right. like looking at my business and like, I think, I mean, first of all, everybody should go check out Squad because that sounds fun and awesome. And then in terms of like the sort of bigger platforms that still exist, I think 
one really good way to key into this is exactly what you're saying. People use it for like numbing out, right? And you can actually use social media the way you use anything else, food, booze, gambling, Netflix, whatever, sex to like check in. How does it feel? Right. I can feel the difference in my body between when I am like actually just, okay, it's on Instagram, but I'm DMing a good friend of mine. And it feels like we're really, right. We're having an actual conversation about our real lives and we are connecting. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus the feeling I get in my body when I'm like just scrolling mindlessly. Right. You can like anything that can be used to number buffer. It can also be used as a tool to check in with yourself. Like, why am I doing this? Is it hard for me to not get on? Right. Do I set a limit and then ignore it? Like, how am I using this to numb and buffer? And it's almost like everything goes back to feeling awkward because I think one of the reasons that people use social media so much, obviously like the pandemic had an effect on everybody yes. online so much and mm-hmm. mental health deteriorating, but also it's like, I know so many people who just, it feels safer, right? It feels awkward to try to like make a new friend. Like what if you got to ask an acquaintance if they want to hang out and then they say no, or like you ask someone in the drop-off line and then you got to see them every day or whatever. And people are, it just feels safer. And the part of our brain that wants us to feel safe is like, just scroll and talk to the online friends. Right. But like, what does it take to be willing to be like, okay, I'm going to ask that other mom that I see every morning for coffee. And if she says, no, I'm going to feel like I want to die, but it's worth it. And I'm going to do that 10 times until someone says yes. And I can make a real life connection. Those are the risks that we have to take to experience life, fun, and vulnerability, right? You know, we can't like let rejection or the fear of rejection drive the way that we interact. And one thing to your point about the, the, I call it the kind of endless scrolling, the content sunken place, you know, there's this rule of social media called the 1990 rule. And that rule dictates that. 1% of people of social media users are the people who create the vast majority of content. 9% of people lightly engage, they'll retweet, they'll share, et cetera. Mm. But 90% of social media users are lurkers. And Mm. those are people who post nothing. They just go into the feed and scroll, scroll, scroll. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very, it's a significant majority of people using the platform. And so, you know, one thing I always tell people is leverage the connection oriented tools and social media more DM your friends, you know, you text your friends, people actually are talking to their close friends across upwards of three to six platforms these days. Mm-hmm. So I think that's actually very important. And another thing that I say, as it pertains to scrolling is when you wake up in the morning, spend one hour off social media or wait, to get on. And then before you go to bed, have a a one hour break, because we live in this mindset of scarcity. Nothing's enough. You first thing we think about when we get up, I didn't get enough sleep. Last thing we think about when we go to sleep, man, I didn't get enough work done. Mm -hmm. And being in that mindset and looking at everyone's highlight reels, it just really messes up your mental. And so, you know, connection oriented features, the DMs, et cetera, Mm -hmm. And just kind of having that intentionality, right? Because like I said, all of this affects our mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that's also like, as I was talking about meeting someone in person, I was also thinking, okay, and also, of course, there are people who are disabled or not able to do that. But like, fine, if you're going to talk, you're making a friend online, great. And then like, have a DM conversation or see if they want to yeah. trade phone numbers and text, like whatever right. it is even if you're not going to be going to meet people in person, it's just, how do I cultivate this one-to-one connection in some way where we actually are getting to like know each other, not just consuming each other's content. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think 
also the one thing I'd add to what you're saying is like also curating what you see, like, because I only see life coaches and I don't come from a, like my coaching type is not the, like, I'm amazing by my life. It's like very Mm. life is suffering, learn how to deal with it. So I feel like my feed is like, like a Jewish Buddhist life coach, you know? So I feel like my feed is like full of people talking about the hard stuff. So that's out there, right? Mm. Like I have too many coaches in my feed. People need a balance, but like you just as in life, like social media on some ways is a mirror of life, right? You can hang out in life with a bunch of people who can't be vulnerable and can't tell the truth and always have to pretend everything's great and are always trying to one-up each other and whatever else. And you can do that online. And if you are going to be online and you are going to consume content, like go looking for the content that challenges you or teaches you or like does something useful for you. Not just, well, I went to high school with this person. So I have to look at pictures of their new Bentley every day till I die like for no good reason. You know, it's so interesting Interesting, you said that because last night I literally took out probably 70% of the clothes in my closet and in my drawers. I put mm. them on my floor. So my bedroom's an entire mess right now. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, time to revamp, spring mm-hmm. cleaning. Do that for social media too. If, yes. you're, if, you're, if you're scrolling and you're not feeling good and it's not bringing you joy, maybe you're engaging with the wrong type of stuff. Right. right? It doesn't matter how pretty it is. If it doesn't fit, exactly. it doesn't feel good, get rid of it. Exactly. So good. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. Will you tell people, obviously they should look up Squad and I assume that's on the app store or wherever else you would find mm-hmm. it, but where else can they find you if they want to hear you talk more? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at... Isa, I-S-A-D, Watson. So I-S-A-D, Watson. Diane is my little name. Or they can find me on TikTok because now I'm, you know, with the kids on TikTok and stuff. (laughs) I I have not downloaded TikTok because I can already tell... I can run my business or I can have TikTok. I cannot do both. That's <laughs> it funny. just seems impossible. It's actually pretty fun. No, it seems too fun. That's why. Yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> but I'm at Isa D. Watson underscore BK. For Brooklyn. Oh. So, um, so yeah. I'm that's from really Brooklyn good. right now. Me too. Oh, look at that. I was about to, I was going to do the normal Brooklyn thing about oh, where are you? But we won't I do live downtown. So everybody will know where we live. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Go check out Ice's work. Check out Squad. Go curate your social media. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.